And welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who never illegally uses his hands. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I do not. I wish I were crafty enough to do so. I wish I had that <laughs> level of uh, intellect that Diego Maradona seems to have. So we are here to talk about what I'm going to call Diego Maradona's peak moment. It is the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal Argentina versus England at a Estadio Azteca in front of 114,580 people. A lot of people, Taylor. Um, <laughs> I really think it's peak Maradona. It's the handball goal and yeah. it's the what was called the goal of the century where he dribbled past half of England. Not just the football team, yeah. half of the nation. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's everything that it's everything that Maradona is and it's it's the best Maradona's ever been. Yeah, and, and then like you double down on that with the idea that really that entire uh, eleven on the day and their tactical approach was in, like entirely rooted in just yes. let Maradona do what he does, and we'll find a way through. And England's entire defense seemed to be don't let Maradona do what he wants to do, and we'll find a way through. So that the entire game plan for both teams seemed to be about Maradona. Yeah, I think that gives further evidence that this game was all about Diego Maradona. It certainly was. It was also a little bit about the Falklands. Did you do any reading into the I background did. of the Falklands War? I figured I figured that you would. Would you agree that the Falklands War led to Maradona having at least a bit of a chip on his shoulder um, for this game? Yeah, I mean, and he says that after the fact, right? He says, like... Uh, we knew a lot of our boys like died, and so this was our revenge. A lot of like beautiful little birds died, and this was our revenge. Right. I think is what he says. I'm still confused as to how it's the, it's it seems like a very English conflict that like they went out of their way to not call it a war, even though like Argentina invaded the islands, and yeah. then they didn't say it as invaded. They're like England took that as an invasion. It's like yeah, no, that's what that is. I guess it's disputed, but it was it was interesting to read about because it's something that I've heard a lot about, but never really read much about. Okay, so instead of me briefly describing the Falklands. Mm-hmm. War, um, which Argentines would call the uh, the Malvinas War. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we have the non-British person <laughs> explain, like, really briefly, please, Dale, explain what happened in the Falklands in 1982, four years prior to this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I can give you my my best gist, which is like a distillation of the Wikipedia entry. So you know, that's, that, that's yeah. most internet podcast research. Um, but it's essentially what it's it's a chain of islands that were administrated uh, by England, but uh, claimed by Argentina. So it's disputed territory. I guess England had some uh, presence there. Argentina, quote unquote, invade, depending on how you want to phrase that one. Some would say liberated, some would say occupied. But either way, they sent a military presence there. England respond, I believe, primarily with uh, the air force, uh, and I think it's like roughly. 300 English people die, roughly 600, 650 or so uh, Argentinians uh, die in the conflict. I don't even know what happens. I'm assuming it's still sort of, re- like, I'm assuming it resorts to status quo and re- remains that way. Well, yeah, essentially Argentina have to retreat in the end, yeah. right? Because Britain just does have, you know, uh, a bigger military. Um, so they force Argentina back. And it's, you know, sort of an embarrassing defeat for Argentina. that They tried to claim this land that really is off, off of their coast. And Britain geographically shouldn't have much of a claim to it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it just and, happens uh, that there are... There were people there who identify as British because they they settled there, right? But so Argentina have to back away. um, And so it's sort of embarrassing for them. So when it comes to this game, 1986, four years later, it's still recent enough that there's been a military defeat. And that's why, I mean, patriotic Argentinians will have a chip on their shoulder about England. I mean, about Great Britain, but about England. There's also the... Can I jump in really fast there, though, uh, to add one thing about the Falklands before we move on? I mean, if you have to. 
<laughs> um, well, it's just it's two. It's one little interesting thing I think is he says it actually in the uh, Maradona HBO documentary that he basically says because of the situation in Argentina at the time there wasn't much honest news about the Falklands, and so the way it was presented to the Argentinian people is that they were winning, that they were like finding like like it was Argentina going to overthrow England, and it was this whole big thing, and then suddenly they're retreating, and I think it it really put a lot of people into a state of disarray of like oh we've been lied to, we haven't heard the whole story, and it hit that much more home, and I think maybe that is also the reason why if you think you're winning and suddenly you're retreating and it's this big loss why it might put even a bigger chip on your shoulder of well i want to be the one who sort of restores parity and shows that we are still to be feared on a global stage this also goes all the way back to 1966 right there's um, argentina um, against England in the 66 World Cup when Antonio Rattan, the uh, Argentina captain, is sent off for, quote, violence of the tongue by a German <laughs> yeah. referee who does not speak Spanish. And there was a whole like mm-hmm. protest as Rattan went off. Um, and I think he, uh, didn't he like crumple the, f- he sit, he sat on the, the, uh, the red carpet that was reserved for the Queen and he like yeah. crumples up the British flag on his, on his way he out. Stamped so on the carpet too, I think. Stamped on the carpet. So yeah, there is a whole uh, protest against Britain and against England. So oh, and you're, you're forgetting the other key part of that what's that that is it alf ramsey who's the manager of the time yes oh yes he called he them animals calls, called them animals yeah so there's yeah. a lot of basically there's animosity going into yeah. this 1986 world cup quarter final but mm-hmm. there's also tactics taylor as you hinted at um england classically in a 4-4-2 <laughs> which is almost hilarious to say because mm-hmm. it's so obvious in 1986 um but argentina brought out a formation that they hadn't used in a little while, and it's a formation that gets the absolute best out of Diego Maradona. So can we get into the details of uh, Argentina's formation and how it liberates Diego? Sure. Um, it's it's essentially a 3-5-2, which doesn't seem like it's that innovative, but when it's uh, Carlos Bellardo who had been having not much success with Argentina, and he basically pulls this out seemingly out of nowhere to suddenly being in a 3-5-2, I think he says there's an anecdote in a Jonathan Wilson piece about how like they thought he got the te- like the numbers wrong or something, that he had given yeah. the wrong names because it didn't make any sense to have it, three centre-backs. Yeah, it's because he had more than two centre-backs, yeah. Right, <laughs> you're right. But it's a 3-5-2, sort of. It basically is, I would say, more of a like, Three, four, one, two. It's the Atalanta thing. If you heard our coverage of the Champions League, where basically it's a three, four, one, two, and that one is Maradona, and that Maradona is allowed to do pretty much whatever he wants, and the entire team is structured to allow him to do whatever he wants without having too many vulnerabilities. Yeah, I mean, I would quibble with you, and I would call it a three, five, one, and then Maradona mm-hmm. just doesn't have a position. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what you do see is Maradona. Um, he basically wanders sort of underneath Valdano is the striker, right? The Real Madrid striker. He's usually underneath him, but he goes left, he goes right, he goes central. He comes deep to receive the ball. I mean, as you see on the, the second goal, mm-hmm. he just goes wherever he can find the ball. And correct me if I'm wrong, England don't really man mark him, right? When he goes up front, Terry Fennick is all up in his face, like mm-hmm. <laughs> literally sometimes. Um, but when he goes back into midfield, no one seems assigned to mark Diego Maradona. He just is allowed to wander and pick up the ball. And I think that's a big mistake by England. I think it is too, because I think the idea is whoever's nearest to him, get to him, and then maybe somebody else come over and help with that defense. But at times that can lead to, all right, just foul him or make sure we've got enough people around him and that seemed to sort of work. But then simultaneously, we've talked about this a lot with Lionel Messi, that when you have a bunch of people around him and it seems like three people defending him is the best way to go, it actually leads to diffusion of responsibility. Yes. And no one really knows who's supposed to step to him. So either you foul or everybody dives in or everybody stands off and he's able to kind of navigate that pretty successfully which is pretty much what happens for that second goal. Yeah, maybe even a bit on the first goal as well. Um, true. Before we get to that, I want to briefly oh, mention true, yeah. I want to briefly mention England's plan. 
England's mm-hmm. plan seemed to be lift balls forward for Beardsley and Lineker to chase. And I would say Beardsley, yeah. Beardsley, yeah, <laughs> Lineker's sure. probably not, not that keen on chasing, right? Any balls in the air, Argentina's centre-backs were winning because Beardsley and Lineker are not, not good in the air at all, right? The only target man England had was on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it only kind of comes off once, right? Glenn Huddle lifts a ball into the channel. The keeper yeah. comes out and miskicks it. And then Beardsley sort of does this nice little shimmy turn and tries to shoot from this really tight angle, hits mm-hmm. the side netting. That's the best chance England have in the entire first half. It is. And it is it is a good little move there from Beardsley because he, at one point, it seems like he's just going to turn and shoot right away. And I think the keeper anticipates that. And then he faints and goes the other direction and that throws the keeper off as well. So that's good movement from Beardsley. But aside from that, yeah, it's really limited. And I say Lineker, like, not as involved just because I think it was like the 38th minute in my uh, YouTube feed. The commentator says, uh, Lineker still not very involved. And I yeah. had completely, or st- Lineker still uninvolved is what he says. I forgot Lineker was even on the field until yep. that moment. I was like, oh, right. Right, they have two forwards. And I would, That's troubling. I would credit Argentina with actually a good defensive setup. Mm-hmm. They would fall back into sort of a three-five-two and almost just be entirely behind the halfway line yeah. and let England's defenders have the ball. Right, so it's Terry Butcher and Terry Fenwick. I feel like the plan in the Argentinian dressing room was let the Terrys have the ball because they're not <laughs> they're not really big time players. They're not going to hurt us, right? So then Glenn Hoddle mm-hmm. would come deep and try and receive the ball, and suddenly you've got like half the England team um, in their own half with the ball. And all they can do is lift balls forward and hope Peter Beardsley can chase it down. So it's yeah. a good defensive setup from Argentina. It's a lack of ideas from England. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's also maybe the lack of familiarity with what Argentina are doing because this three-five-one Maradona, as you phrased <laughs> it, which I really like, uh, it's it's kind of structured to apply pressure but not overcommit, not allow for gaps, and still have numbers in the back so you can deal with long balls. And it really does that exactly. Like this is a very good example of a strategy almost entirely working because it really limits what England are able to do. The best opportunity they have comes from a sort of misplay from Argentina, and aside from that. They're really flustered and I think fairly frustrated. Uh, They have to resort to a lot of kicking and fouling uh, in their defensive approach. And so I think you can kind of see that in the first half. And then maybe in the second half, a little bit of it is the moment of uh, genius from Maradona. But I think it's also once he has that moment of genius, it's him sort of settling in, feeling a bit more comfortable. And that is entirely what England do not want to happen. Would you agree that even in the first half, Maradona Mm -hmm. causes England all kinds of trouble? Yes, but I think, yes, I would. Sorry, I, I may have made that a little bit murkier than I meant to. Uh, all I need to say is that when it's nil-nil and you're Maradona and the entire system is about you, I think he feels that extra level of pressure. And I think that, yes, he causes lots of problems. But there are moments when you can see him trying to do too much or yeah. feeling like I have to be the one to do this. And I think England, for their part, foul him a lot, kick him a lot, mark him enough and cause enough frustration that we've seen those matches before where that player tips over and they kind of lose it. They get too frustrated. They get too in their head. And it becomes a quicksand game and I think it is uh, a very good indicator of who Maradona is as a player and as a person that instead he responds to that by elevating his performance even more and then maybe cheating a little bit (laughs) all right let's get to that first goal then sure it's the 51st minute Um, Maradona receives the ball with all of England's midfielders and defenders ahead of him right Mm -hmm. he's kind of like on the center left type channel but everybody's ahead of him and he dribbles through, I'm going to say he dribbles through Hoddle and Reed. He cuts yes. Ken Hoddle, who's the one centre midfielder, who honestly is not much of a defensive presence ever. Hoddle is there to, to play beautiful passes. But he cuts past Hoddle. Then before Reed can even come across, he goes through the gap between Hoddle and Reed. Dribbles away from Terry Fennick. And I think he gives Fennick the, the quick like right foot, left foot move that he uses later on, but he uses it quickly here. Then Terry Butcher, the, the other centre back, and Kenny Sampson, the left back, all close in on Maradona 
And then he does the very clever thing of knowing when he's drawn so many players to him that the right thing to do is dish this ball off for a one-two, right? So he mm-hmm. just pokes the ball off to Valdano and then darts behind Butcher and Sansom. So before yeah. we talk about the handball part of this, the, the way that Maradona draws everybody in, lays the ball off, and then gets behind England's defence, that alone, I think, is like evidence of Maradona's genius. He is, he yeah. is in on goal. Yeah, and, and I would say the... The isolation of Fenwick as well, as you mentioned. By the way, it's going to be a struggle for me in this entire podcast to not call him Fenwick, but to do the proper pronunciation of Fenwick. Uh, I think Honestly, also- this, this performance, he doesn't even deserve his name pronounced correctly, so <laughs> call him whatever you want. Well, lest we forget, he gets uh, a yellow card fairly early on, I believe, yes. uh, in, the, in the first half. Uh, ninth yeah, minute, ninth horrible minute, lunge yeah. slide tackle on Diego Maradona. Yeah, And this also feels like Diego Maradona being very aware of which player on the England team has that yellow card. It'll come into play in the second goal as well. But here, I think he's also sort of knows who probably can't go in 100% on him with a full tackle and who can. And he kind of isolates that person. Like embarrasses them a little bit with some skill and then is able to get rid of the ball. And I think that that awareness is why I go back uh, to you saying like, yeah, there's a little bit of him sort of doing everything and then England sort of panicking and not really knowing how to deal with him. And then there's the moment of uh, genius on the end of it. So you mean the moment of genius in this goal? Yes. Okay, so Maradona lays it off to Valdano, slips Mm -hmm. in behind uh, Butcher and Sampson. He's in on goal. Valdano sort of miscontrols this, right? Yes. And Steve Hodge manages to get a foot to it, but rather than properly tackling him, he kind of loops the ball high into his own area. And I feel like this is really important because Steve Hodge in the first half did a similar sort of thing. After Maradona dribbled straight down the middle in the 37th minute, um, someone else tackles him, the ball pops loose. And on his own penalty spot, Steve Hodge just whiffs at the ball and like slices it out for a corner kick. And I really think that Maradona dribbling at England causes Steve Hodge to panic not once, but yep. twice. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think even when it's like him not going up against Maradona, I feel like it is that... Um because uh, live sports don't exist anymore, I have to go to FIFA. And it is that panicky feeling of FIFA of like, oh, the game's going to glitch. It just wants them to score. It's doing that algorithm where I'm not going to win this game. And so they get the ball anywhere near the box and you start panicking and your defense is really shambolic. And then they end up scoring, not because there was a glitch, but because you are now really panicky defending. And I think this is that example of even though it's not even uh, uh, Hodge being the one who's taxed with Marky Maradona, I think there's still that awareness of if yeah. I mess up, it might go back to Diego Maradona and I don't want that to happen. Uh, I'm just going to try to get a foot to it. And instead he loops it back to Towards his own goalkeeper. So he loops it back towards his own goalkeeper, Peter Shilton, who is six foot plus. Diego yep. Maradona is definitely under six foot. And yet, somehow, when they both jump, it's Maradona wins the ball mm-hmm. and scores. And we obviously know yes. now, with the benefit of replay, that it was Maradona's wrist. Nice hand, really. It's his wrist, mm-hmm. right? That, um, that sort of bats the ball past Shilton and into the net. But you spoke of a moment of genius, and I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, really? Because uh, I just meant the ability to, in the moment, like, no, I'm not going to win this header. I'm not going to get this as clean. But a little bit of hand will do it. And thus he uses, well, a little bit of wrist, I should say. What's the moment of genius you're referring to? Is it the celebration? No, it's the little head nod. Ah, so as Maradona okay. goes up, he does use his hand. But if you just go up and use your hand really obviously, you're going to get called for it, right? You're absolutely mm-hmm. going to get yeah. caught. What Diego Maradona does, he keeps his hand quite close in, right? It's not like he extends it, like he doesn't go like full big fist punch. Um, and he nods his head as well as if he's heading the ball so that if you're the ref or the linesman and there's no VAR back in 1986 uh, that the referees can use, it absolutely can look like Maradona has just won this header because he does the header motion yeah, the nod. as he wrists the ball. Yeah, that's the moment of genius for me. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is, because he sells it entirely. And then it's interesting to me because the commentator in the moment, at least the commentator I had, says, like, maybe Shilton a little bit slow coming off his line, maybe a little bit of a slip. I don't think there was any bit of a slip. And I do think Shilton in the first half is good coming off of his line. There's the one where he catches the ball in traffic. He gets fouled pretty badly. He gets up and shakes everybody's hands, which yeah. to me is a very gentlemanly thing. And so, like, I would have understood it even more if maybe there had been a moment in the first half similar to the Hodge moment where it was like, oh, even he is nervous. But really, he was pretty steadfast in his goalkeeping. So it really does just come down to Diego Maradona recognizing I'm probably not going to pull this one off. So I got to sell it a little bit. And he does. And you can see as he runs away after the ball insultingly drops into the goal. It really is like a slow bouncing goal that he runs away and he's 95% celebrating, maybe 90% and 10% looking around to see if anybody has caught what he's done. And you can't be as obvious as when you think you might be offside and you like run to celebrate. Then you look back and check with the AR and then you look back and, and keep running because the flag isn't in the air. You can't do that because you do sort of telegraph that maybe you've given something away. So he has to sort of like side-eye it as he runs away celebrating yeah. and manages to pull it off and apparently, while the England players lose their minds. And apparently he's saying to his Argentinian teammates, come celebrate with me, come celebrate with that's me. Right. I think he knows that's that right. that sort of seals yeah. the deal if there's any doubt, right? So yes. there's that extra bit of let's just make sure of this. Yep. I want to talk more about this handball moment, Taylor. But first, mm. today's but first. episode of Soccer 101 is sponsored by ExpressVPN. So you've heard us talk about um, VPN before, how important mm-hmm. a virtual private network is. Um, and now that you're working from home, maybe it's even more important to choose a VPN that you trust. Yes, because there have been uh, many products that we've seen utilized and publicly utilized uh, in this era of quarantine and work from home. And I think one thing that I really enjoy about ExpressVPN is that it does not log my data, which is very, very nice. I am, I am very skeptical of new products that uh, aim to provide wonderful services. And then you find out, like, not only are they logging your data, but they're selling it. And it's really not that great. Instead, ExpressVPN, they don't log your data, but they are very uh, cost effective and affordable and reliable and easy. It's a really, really useful product that does exactly what it says it will do. Because free VPNs are out there, right? You can go out yes. there and find a VPN that doesn't charge you anything. They're not just a charity. Those, yeah, no. those places are making money by logging your data and then selling it to ad companies. ExpressVPN, the, the private really is private. Virtual private network. They use a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for the ExpressVPN servers to log any of your info. So even if they wanted to, they couldn't do it. I just remember the, the, the like Wi-Fi kiosks when we were in New York and, and Alexis was explaining to us, Alexis of the Cooligans was like, yeah, it's free Wi-Fi for anybody in the area. And we we're like, oh, that's really nice. And he's like, well, they log your data and sell it. And we we're like, oh, that's less nice. <laughs> like, yeah, so free, free VPN seems like a really useful thing until you find out there's all that other stuff behind it here. Uh, when you don't have to worry about that, it's really, really nice. And then you don't have to worry about the connectivity or any of those issues because sometimes when you have the VPN, it slow things, slows things down. It gets pixely. It gets blurry. It gets unreliable. It is very, very fast. Uh, I have never noticed a a, uh, demonstrable difference, uh, which I very much appreciate. So protect yourself with the VPN that Taylor and I use and trust. Use mm-hmm. the link expressvpn.com slash soccer and you'll get an extra extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer. Um, visit expressvpn.com slash soccer to learn more. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN. Uh, Daryl, we do have still one more goal to talk about, but do we want to talk more about the handball? Oh, you know I do. I, I want to talk I about f- what Maradona said afterwards. Okay, let's so, do it. So when he was asked, did you, uh, how, did that, how did that goal go in? Diego Maradona told the press, it was a little with the head of Maradona and mm-hmm. a little with the hand of God. And much like Jose Mourinho talking about, uh, I'm a uh-huh. special one, maybe, 
this hand of God quote is what came to define this goal. It's known as the hand of God goal. Yes, it is. And, and, and it also feels, uh, again, to the Maradona documentary, there, there's a big idea in that that there is Diego and Diego, the person who is very nice and warm and has people over for barbecues. And then there is Maradona, who's this next level figure. And really, he kind of crystallizes that in that statement of like, it was a little bit the hand of Diego. Albedi uh, says Diego Maradona, but like the hand of Diego or like the head of Diego and then the hand of God. I feel like that's the second part of him saying like, I am God, <laughs> even though that's not necessarily what he's saying. Yeah, I it's easy think- to take it that way yeah this is like a john lennon saying the beatles are bigger than jesus yeah. moment mm-hmm. right it's not quite maradona saying i am god i mean even though right. he has some churches um, in his honor in argentina yep. um it's more about just saying that uh, like i think fate intervened right is what he's trying mm-hmm. to suggest there yeah and and i think though that like this is also the moment for me that uh like I don't even know how to say this aside from like, basically, this is kind of the moment that made me not like Diego Maradona for most of my life. And I think he is a very polarizing figure. If you were like into like revolutionaries and alternative ways of thinking, I think Diego Maradona is the guy for you. Whereas for me, I think I grew up with Pele because we get a lot of the kind of sanitized stories about how good of a person Pele was and how he found out when he was like a teenager that he was going to go to the World Cup on the radio. And it was this whole wholesome thing. And I think that Maradona is the opposite of that. And for me growing up, it was you don't cheat to win. That's wrong and so i had this idea of him as this arrogant hand of god he would cheat and and like uh find a way to win no matter what and then there's the the drugs behind that as well but it's interesting to go back and watch this stuff from a a more grown-up maybe a more cynical mindset and be like i mean you know you gotta do what you gotta do it's it's why i think luis suarez i would never want him as an opponent and never really want him as like a buddy but maybe want him as a teammate because he he finds a way to win and he makes it happen and it seems like maradona had that same mindset as well so the, what you just said about like growing up hearing that he cheated yeah. and all that, imagine that, but you're the country yeah. on the receiving end of it, right? Yeah. So that's what I grew up with is hearing mm-hmm. that Maradona cheated us out of the 1986 World Cup, yeah. right? And I, you know, I grew up believing that because you know, I was young. I wasn't a sophisticated soccer watcher. And I was thinking, yeah, Maradona cheated in that game. Yeah, he scored that other goal, but he cheated for the first goal. Um, rewatching it, I mean, one, there's the, the sort of the brilliance of the dribble and the, the attempted one-two with uh, Vardano before. There's the brilliance of tricking big Peter Shilton, who in many ways I feel like represents the English Navy, the British Navy in this moment, <laughs> like this big powerful thing, but he outwits yeah. it, right? Yeah. Um, but I think more important than that is if you're thinking about cheating in this game and England being honourable, you've got to look at Terry Fenwick. So Terry yeah, Fenwick gets the yellow in the ninth minute, but three times in this game, yeah. if you want to find it, it's the 40th minute, the 49th minute, and the 66th minute. Three times Terry Fenwick elbows Maradona in the face or the head. Right. Three mm-hmm. times. And on top of that, yep. there's a bunch of horrible tackles um, on Maradona from all kinds of yep. England defenders. They, England essentially attempt to, to like beat up Maradona and rough him out of this game. And it's the elbows to the head that I find the most offensive because those can be really, like not just like socket injury dangerous, that's really genuinely dangerous, right? Yeah. To elbow someone in the head or the face. So... Like even though I'm still I'm genuinely very patriotic about the English national team, I, I'm aware I don't feel much about this this moment because when I see the treatment that Maradona got, yeah. I almost side with him of thinking, yeah, you do whatever you have to do to win this game. If Terry Fenwick's yeah. just trying to beat you up. 
No, I get that because we we've had games. I, I think well, maybe not the U.S. national team. Maybe sometimes, but it, with Manchester United, I have definitely had games when I was like, I I they don't deserve to win this game. Like they should not win this game. I will not enjoy if they win this game because of how they've gone about playing. And this is a good example of that. And you can see it after the 40th minute one. I think Maradona gets up and has a word. I forget who the England player is. It's not Terry Fennick. It might have been Glenn Hoddle. Uh, but he says like he very clearly says like you guys are hitting me in the face, and you get this like I don't know what you're talking about. I was from butcher. Him. It's just it's, like you know exactly. Yeah, it's Terry. Butcher. Yeah. 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 And and I, and just that moment of like, you guys know what you're doing. And it is definitely, if you see this entire game from the lens of Maradona cheats to get that first goal, then that's unfair. Then that's how you're going to see it. But watching it again without some of that baggage or being maybe less aware of that, knowing just that that's what happens, but let's see what happens in this game. Yeah. It definitely becomes like they're kind of more or less assaulting Diego Maradona. Yep. And when that happens after a number of occasions, you you can sort of understand why he's going to be like, well, I'm going to score no matter what. I'm going to find a way to make this happen because you all – and maybe maybe even as far as like I can't use my head anymore because you guys have hit me too many times in it, so I have to use my hand. <laughs> now there's too many lumps in it that I can't trust <laughs> yes. where my headers will go. Yes, it, it the angle, too bad. The I've angles, got a lump. It's going to go the wrong no, way. No, the angles are all off, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, so the, the hand oh, of God head goal – injuries are funny. The hand of mm-hmm. God goal was in the 51st minute, right? Mm. In the 55th minute, just four goals four, – four minutes later maradona scores what's been described as it may even have been voted by somebody the goal of the century it is definitely the best and most high profile high quality goal because it's at a 1986 world cup in front of more than a hundred thousand people right yeah that helps that definitely helps this is the goal i want us to talk about i want us to um zapruda film this thing (laughs) and go through piece by piece by piece i feel like it shouldn't just be one of us going through it as well maybe we'll we'll share elements back and forth and talk about each thing as we go right it, big picture if you're unaware you should go see this goal it's it's where maradona dribbles through at least five members of the england team rounds yeah. peter shilton and and scores right it is an absolutely incredible goal here's where i want to start us taylor it all starts england have got the ball yep. they're one nil down and kenny sampson drives forward because I feel like that's important that England's left back um, yeah. advances for this goal. They hadn't been doing this, right? England's fullbacks had not been getting forward at all. But I think 1-0 down, Kenny Sampson sort of thinks, all right, I'm going to go get myself involved in the attack. Yeah, and, and, and I want to stress there, though, that like they basically have to change what they're doing now. They have to be a bit more attacking, a bit more adventurous, which can leave them vulnerable. But I, I really want to emphasize that though we know everything we know now about the hand of God moment, let's remember that like, if we're talking about this from a present tense situation of this game is happening, that entire team is now being told, or like the people who spotted it are now being told it's spreading, hey, he, he cheated. He definitely used his hand. And there is that feeling of when you know a goal shouldn't have, have been allowed to stand and is, yeah. you feel maligned you feel like this game is not fair this is not okay and that is so difficult to shake off because oh, yeah. not only are you one nil down in an elimination game in the world cup quarter final but you're one nil down what's that it's a quarter final just to remind right. people yeah it's the yeah. world cup quarter um, final but you're one nil down like in a way that you quote unquote should not be i mean you really should be it's a handball and so i think there's that it's really really difficult to get yourself in the right mindset and i just want to stress that because not only is it tough to shake off and you feel like this isn't fair but now you're having to change your game plan to be more attacking so while you're sort of reeling and trying to pick yourself up you're also having to adjust what you've been doing and i think that also explains a little bit of the defensive defensive uh, fragility we're going to see and talk about yeah i agree with that i think that makes sense um all right to talk us through the goal kenny sampson sure. The England left back goes forward, plays the ball into Peter Beardsley, like England have been doing mm-hmm. <laughs> this whole tournament. But then 
Sansom overlaps, right? Well, kind of underlaps. Either way, he, he absolutely leaves his left-back defending duties and drives forward. Beardsley lays it off to Huddle, and then Huddle tries to find Sampson, who had made a really good run, right? He might have been in on goal if this pass, if this pass has connected, but the pass fails. He might be fouled, Glenn Huddle, but I think yeah. the foul comes after the pass has been mishit, right? So Argentina, it's not a massive counter-attacking opportunity, but England's left-back is out of possession. Argentina have the ball. Um, the mm-hmm. ball goes to Enrique, a defensive midfielder, who passes it to Diego Maradona and later claims that he should get an assist because his pass was perfectly weighted to Maradona. <laughs> uh, did you notice, Did you notice? first of all, that's hilarious. Second of all, <laughs> did you notice that Maradona is not moving when this pass is played to him? Like, he sort of seems to have taken up the position of, I am in the space I need to be in, you need to play me this yeah, ball. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. it's not that little bit of adjusting, trying to find little pockets of space. He's basically just standing almost flat-footed, waiting for that ball. And knowing what we know now, I then wonder, like, is he standing, is it deceptive? Is he trying to stand flat-footed to make it seem like, come on and tackle me as hard as you can, because I will evade that and embarrass you? Well, that's what he does to most of the England team. So yeah. he receives the ball um, in his own half. With his, uh, he's facing his own goal, right? Mm-hmm. So he has to uh, go to his right to get away from Peter Beardsley. But then he's sort of going into Peter Reid, England's central midfielder, uh, and the more defensive of England's central midfielders. Then he pulls off what might be the most impressive move um, in in the sequence. I can't even describe it except to say it's both a drag back and yep. a spin to get away from Peter Reid and be facing the correct direction. I am shocked to hear you. You are correct to say Peter Reid is, is the more defensive there, but it's it's amazing to think about that knowing what happens here because not only does he get beat by that move, which is a very like skillful move, but lest we forget, it's still but 60 yards away from the goal, yeah. and I think that's almost a problem there because Peter Reid is beaten by that move but still has good position. But I think in that mindset is then like, all right, well, I'm just going like, to contain and run alongside him. If you watch this again, his defensive running is shambolic. Like He never really closes down. He never causes Maradona a problem, but he is tracking him so closely for the rest of this run up until Maradona gets about 25 yards from goal that I think, again, it leads to that diffusion of responsibility. Yeah, oh, Peter's tracking him, so I don't need to step so hard. He's never fast enough to actually catch up with him. I know he's like carrying some sort of injury as well. I think it's an ankle injury. Eventually, I think he's the first player subbed out because he's not quite fit enough to go 90 minutes. And he's probably only playing because England captain Brian Robson has a dislocated shoulder. So England's midfield is kind of beaten up um, at this point. But you're right, Reid Reed probably would have been better off just abandoning the chase rather than yeah. trailing him by three yards for the rest of the goal. Yeah. <laughs> so do, do you agree that that move is impressive though, the drag back and spin? And is that the oh, correct yeah. description? I really struggled to find the two correct words for it. It is. It's just, even then, it still is like tough to describe because it's Maradona. And because he just, it's really the perfect combination of like, he's got the big sticking out chest, but then like the long legs that aren't long, but the short, le- short shorts make them seem longer. And I'm just painting, trying to paint that picture because the move itself is probably like a fairly basic move on the surface of it but the way he's like so low to the ground such a low center of gravity that when he does that move you can it's almost like he's just like in this attack shape attack and it's just shape. the way he yeah. shapes up that like you can just see he's like oh he is gonna go now he has put himself into like a- attack mode and he and away we go away we go but indeed right because he accelerates down the right as soon as he makes this turn and he has this, he does, and with that acceleration, he has this very specific way of moving Maradona that it is like scorpion-like or something that's just very, like, it's like quick and there's a big strike. He moves like the way a spider will attack prey, if you've ever seen that, like, up close. Like, it's just like he has this very precise way of moving that every single time, and it's so fast and it's so fluid, but it's very like, cut moves, yeah. sort of, uh, while looking fluid. And it's just really, I don't know anybody else who looks like that when they run, but that, again, makes it this 
next level performance, this next level move because of that level of precision combined with this weird level of fluidity at the same time. And I think with, say, a Scorpion, obviously the sting yeah. is the thing that you're yeah. scared of. With Maradona, I think the constant threat that he brings is at pace, he can go either direction. Right, He can cut to the left or he can cut to the right and you don't mm-hmm. know which way he's going to go. And he'll often do one and then the other in quick succession and then you know that you're done for, right? So that's the threat that Diego Maradona carries like pretty much throughout his career, but especially um, in this move. So the first player to come out to meet him um, is Terry Butcher, who essentially he's a centre-back, but he steps out to the left because Kenny Sampson's not there, right? So Terry Butcher comes out to meet him and Maradona just cuts inside him, right? Like across mm-hmm. him and away, like, it's as if Terry Butcher's not even there. It's a really, no. it's a really, um, it, it's like it's like the the first guy that you kill in a in a video game, maybe. <laughs> um, next up, it's Terry Fennick, and I love this move that he puts on Terry Fennick. Um, it's what I would call this is definitely a right foot left foot shuffle, right? So he's dribbling at Fennick from Fennick's left, and he like takes a first touch that's right foot as if he's going to go across the front of Terry Fennick. Fennick opens up to try and defend that way, but then Maradona cuts back with the left and goes outside of him, leaves mm-hmm. Fennick flat-footed, right? His actual real name should be Terry Flatfoot. Um, and then, I'm assuming you agree with me about exactly what I've just described. I think Maradona then hurdles Terry Fennick. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Uh, or at the very least, get, yeah, gets over him. And, and I would just add, again, this is Terry Fennick on a yellow card. I think a bit more cautious than he would have been because maybe you can get away with a whack to the face when the referee's looking the other way and you don't have VAR. But here, any sort of contact, if you bring him down, it's probably going to be another card. So I think that is very much front and center on Fennec's mind and it maybe explains a little bit of why he's not more direct or decisive in this tackle. I actually, and then the hurdling I think just makes it more fun. I think that's being generous. I don't think Terry really? Fennec could get close to him even if he wanted to foul him. That could be. That could well be. That could well be. Uh, let me let me put it this way then. I think, and honestly, I think it goes to Terry Butcher as well. I think all of them are aware that like I might not be able to get to him. So I think the strategy in the first half was that I'm just going to go hard physically, and even if I don't get the ball, I'll get him, and that will stop him. Yeah. And I do think that like we would have seen Terry Fennick if he's not on a yellow card. Almost like just go clean at him and knock Maradona out, even if it means I'm going to get a yellow card. But he can't kind of afford that gamble. Is I guess what I mean. Well, he's left for dust. He's left that, in that's the true. dust. Also that. The next bit is really important as well. It's Shilton comes out to face Maradona. Um, I, I think what Maradona, Maradona does here is he opens up his hips as if he's going to shoot far post. But mm-hmm. then he swivels his hips and takes the ball to the outside of Shilton and essentially goes around him before opening up again and side footing home. He does, yeah. he does Peter Shilton, basically. Yep. Yep, and I mean, and you feel bad for Peter Shilton, who I think is 36 in this moment, yeah. and is, despite being good off his line in the first half, I think certainly not like the most like fleet of foot, and probably not the the modern goalkeeper who just does like Pilates and has the core strength of uh, a superhuman. Oh, Taylor, Peter just, Shilton is very much an 80s goalkeeper. Just wait for 1990. Shilton's back for more, age 40 oh in 1990. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Oh, Peter, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Mar- Maradona goes around Shilton. I think it, is it Butcher, like who is caught up and slides yeah. in too little, too late. Terry Butcher. It is two nil to uh, Argentina. Two nil to Diego Maradona. Two nil to Diego Maradona. 
Indeed. Uh, I, I will say at this point, uh, with the talking about Peter Shilton maybe like looking a little bit slow, I just have to add one of my favorite uh, notes from this one was that there was an official uh, cigarette uh, partner for this World Cup. It was Camel. They were very much on the advertisements on the sidelines, and it was just like, yeah, that feels right for the 80s. That feels like an appropriate sponsor for 1986. And I feel like maybe that's what the England players all enjoyed after this game to maybe calm the nerves a little bit. Do you, have you got anything else you want to say um, about this goal? No. Just that it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, obviously we'll put a link to the YouTube video um, in the highlights, both the, sorry, in the show notes, both the highlights with the goals and the uh, the full match, which was available uh, via FIFA, right? They did sort of a classics uh, FIFA TV, here's the entire game kind of thing. Um, final note I would add is that England do pull one back when they finally mm-hmm. bring on some wingers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for the last 15 minutes or so, they've got John Barnes on the left and they've got Chris Waddle on the right, both of whom have come off the bench. And like Barnes especially, he's going at Argentinian fullbacks and crossing balls in. Um, they, England get a goal back like that when uh, Lineker gets his head to one of those Barnes crosses. It's important because that's what makes Lineker top scorer at this World Cup. He gets the golden boot. That is very important. He gets the, it's important to me. <laughs> he, get, he gets the golden boot for that goal. Um, I also read a Jonathan Wilson article that suggested this sort of 3-5-1-1 thing that Argentina mm-hmm. were doing would have been susceptible to like really aggressive attacking wingers. But England decided not to do that until the last 15 minutes, and Belgium didn't have any wingers in the semi-final. Right. And then, uh, and then Lothar Mateus was, was it Mateus who was like tasked with man marking Maradona? Yeah. And that was sort of the way Germany went about dealing with it as opposed to exploiting those wings. Well, Germany went 3 5 2 as well, right? They matched yeah. the shape and man marked mm-hmm. Maradona, yeah. And it almost worked until it didn't. Yeah, until it didn't. Uh, and worth knowing that in the semi final, Maradona scores two again, including a second goal that is a little bit reminiscent of the famous goal in this game, right? Because yeah. it's, uh, it's dribbling through a bunch of players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,. Yeah, in the sense that, yeah, from now on, any time Maradona dribbles through people, it will always be reminiscent of this 1986 game. <laughs> All right, anything else to add on this? Except for, obviously, people should go and watch these goals. Um, this is a moment in soccer history that's definitely worth knowing about. Just that in, um, it's maybe not about this game, but in doing a bit more reading, it's in that Wilson piece as well, mentioned very briefly, is that when uh, Diego Maradona is the manager of Argentina in 2010, he brings Carlos Bellardo back as his assistant. And that felt <laughs> very like relevant. That it was like, you're the one who got the best out of me, so I'm going to bring you on to get the best out of this team. And that is also feeling like very much Diego Maradona, the manager of, well, I'm Diego, that will be enough. But just in case, I'll bring somebody else to do all the, the tactics-y bits, and then it'll be fine. <laughs> This this absolutely is the peak of Maradona. That's the last thing mm-hmm. I want to say. He is 25 years old. He's just had his second season at Napoli where they finished third. They're about to go and win the title the next year. I think it's before the cocaine starts properly. Yeah. I'm sure he's dabbled at this point, but I don't think I'm it's... I'm sure like, he's dabbled. He's at Napoli at this point. I don't yeah. think it's taken hold, though, in the way that it does. But you see in that Diego Maradona documentary, right, yeah. that there's, there's far too much of it going on, going on later. And... I would argue, at least for Argentina, he never quite hits these heights again. But then who could, right? It's just not possible to ever be this good again, where you could be not a one-man team, but at the very least a team that is just absolutely built around getting the best out of one player and that being enough to win the World Cup. And the parallel I would draw is... Look how close Argentina came with Messi, where they tried to just build the whole team around Messi. They made the World Cup final. They made two Copa America finals, the Copa America and the Copa America Centenario. Um, and it nearly worked a couple of times, but then they also had a couple of disasters, right, where it absolutely yeah. did, not, did not work. So it's, a, it's just a rare thing in history for a team to be built around one player and actually be successful in this way. I, 
I did see somebody over at ESPN make the point that if uh, if Messi had, had 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 Jorge Valdano instead of Gonzalo Higuain, maybe things go differently. But uh, because he had Higuain instead, uh, it didn't quite work out for Messi and Argentina. You say in that, way. but in this game, it looks like Valdano can't control a football. It's like, it looks well, like all that. he ever does is chip the ball up in the air when it comes to him. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the strategy, Daryl. You don't know. Uh, my one final, like, final thing I want to say. Steve Hodge is crazy. Chip the ball up and he'll just play our own players. <laughs> That's it. We know. We've, we've studied the tape that much. Uh, the final thing I wanted to know, you mentioned Maradona's age here, 25 years old. I would have bet you, before I looked it up, that Gary Lineker was 18 at this point. <laughs> I don't know why. I just have this idea that like Gary Lineker like, re- like, was like hitting his prime in like 1994, even though England aren't in the World Cup then. I just had this idea that like he's older. Gary Lineker's pushing sixty. That yeah. man looks good. Like I am shocked. He's the same age. He's twenty five years old in this game. I've thought for all the world like he does not hit his prime until the nineties. I think that's just me not growing up in England and it's, thus not having that level of fandom. It's probably you heard about him in the nineties, right? That's probably yeah, true. I think, yeah, it, I mm-hmm. think it's more just when you became aware versus when he was the World yep. Cup top scorer, which is yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. On that note, obviously yeah. more classic match reviews coming your way on Soccer One Hundred and One in the near future. I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101.